0: Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, It's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, Easy to use. Uh, Actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, You can see your stats on the app and online. You can check them out at rapidshot.com. A great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now, uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, A lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot. Thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. podcast today we bring on greg fargo greg is the head coach of the women's program at colgate university unprecedented levels of success for that program since greg's taken over they've made the national title this year they they for the first time ever won the ECAC. so really heading in the right direction i love what he's doing with the program with his mantra play free dan what did you love about this one
1: yeah i'm glad you brought up play free that's what i was going to say too Uh, He's the kind of coach that you would want to play for, definitely. Uh, Very progressive thinker, inclusive, just moving the ball in the right direction. Had a lot of fun chatting with him. How about you? Loved how we're
0: talking about possession play, keeping the puck, making people be their best selves. Uh, And there's a few ways that we talk about in here how we go about that. Um, For example, giving permission, possessing the puck, Making plays even in spaces where traditionally, like in front of the net or at the blue line, uh, you wouldn't hear that. So I I loved where he was heading with this. And it's got to be a joy to absolutely play for him. Um, I would definitely want to do it. And I can't imagine that uh, no one else would want to play for him because it just was a fun conversation. And you could see that he's always thinking about others and pushing the game forward. Agree. And
1: without further ado, our interview with Greg Fargo.
0: On the podcast today, we bring on Colgate women's coach. Greg Fargo, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Really excited. You just came off uh, another great season. I mean, uh, Colgate has been in great hands under you, and it's shown in the records. Uh, and it seems like better and better people as well are seeming to come out of Colgate. So, uh, before we get going into all of that, let's let's hear maybe a little bit about your background, where you came from. Uh, I know you used to be a goalie.
2: Well, for me, I, I grew up in uh, in Ontario, in Eastern Ontario playing hockey as a lot of young boys do um up there and uh I grew up in Kingston um spent a little bit of time in uh in a place called uh, Wolf Island Ontario uh, moved around to Cornwall and so had a couple different stops along the way but uh ended up playing my junior hockey and minor hockey mostly in Kingston and uh and that brought me down here to New York uh, played 4 years at Elmira College um, had a great experience there a little division three school just down the road here from Hamilton and, um, and had a great experience as I mentioned, but, um, you know, after college, I, uh, I was lucky enough to get right into coaching, hung the pads up and, uh, and moved down the road to Buffalo to coach at Canisius where, um, uh, worked with their division one men's program and, and was a graduate assistant coach for two years, um, and and really caught the coaching bug there under, under Dave Smith and had a great experience doing that. Uh, so, uh, the opportunity went to go back to Elmira opened up and that's where, um, you know, I got into the women's game for the first time coaching the women's program at Elmira. Uh, they had had a tremendously successful program, uh, for a number of years. And, uh, you know, I got my first head coaching job there. I was 24 years old and, uh, jumped right into it. Um, And we had had a little bit of success and and the opportunity that opened up to come over to Colgate, um, four years later. Um, and so my family and I moved down the road here to Hamilton and, uh, time flies when you're having fun, but we're nine years into it now. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy how fast it's gone by, but, uh, you know, it's been a great place for, for me and my family. And, and luckily we've been, as you said, we've been just been surrounded with such great people and, um, you know, uh, just enjoying every day here in Hamilton at Colgate.
1: Why is it that so many goalies turn into great coaches?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I've been asked that a lot um, growing up. And and maybe you guys have a bit of a a better insight on that. I I don't know what it is exactly, but I mean, it seems like everywhere you look, you see uh, former goalies uh, behind the bench. Um, You know, I guess for me, what comes to mind, like, growing up in, in Ontario and, and in youth hockey, um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't really have a whole lot of goalie specific coaching uh, growing up. Uh, not a whole lot of individual attention, especially throughout the year. and I think I think as a young goalie, uh, in order to get better, you kind of have to be uh, you know, somewhat surgical and analytical about your own game. You know you're, you, if you're not getting feedback all the time, um, you've really got to be analyzing and watching others and, and really in tune to what they're doing well, um, and what you can add into your own game and, and how that might, uh, might benefit you. Um, so I think, you know, when I look back at it, I was doing a lot of that, you know, uh, until I got to junior, until I got some, some specific goalie coaching or individual goalie coaching, um, was always trying to, to add different pieces to my game. And so, I don't know. I think I think that's another skill that that good coaches have. You know, they have an op- you know, the ability to to assess their team and um, you know figure out what they're doing well and what what's not going well, and also uh, you know figure out opponents and and how to beat them in terms of strategy. And so, um, you know, I think you know that that's something that uh, you know I've always enjoyed is, is just watching others and, and seeing how uh, other programs do things and and other coaches do things and. Um, I don't know, maybe it's had an impact on, uh, on my coaching, my, my goalie background growing up, but, you know, for me truly, I I think the passion for coaching, um, you know, as has resulted out of, uh, really just, you know, being able to combine two passions of mine, which is teaching and, uh, and the game of hockey, you know, and I grew up, I grew up working, uh, every summer camp there is, and um, being on the ice all day long, coaching kids and, and really just enjoying that process. And so for me to, um, you know, to move into the coaching world and, and profession it made a ton of sense and, uh, uh, hasn't felt like a day at work ever since I started.
0: I've heard that many times, like just goalies are more observant than others, which is super true for my brother who who's a goalie. Like he would just We're we're both shy kids, but he was particularly like just observant. Like, he would you would ask him a question, he'd be right on the ball. So, I think you're probably spot on with the being observant, taking information, being very analytical on it. Yeah, Um, I'm kind of curious how that's led to your evolution as a coach and where maybe you started when you were 24 being a head coach to where you are now as a head coach and how that's kind of evolved over time.
2: Yeah, well, I think as a young coach, as I said, I was. I was fresh out of college um, going into my first coaching job as an assistant. And not only that, I was, I was a division three player going to coach a division one program and, and coaching a lot of players at the time that were in fact, older than me, you know, quite a few of them. Um, And so even, you know, very early on, I I learned quickly that I didn't have uh, a lot of the answers. I can remember, uh, you know, my first, uh, my first day on the job at practice, you know, players coming to me, asking questions about breakouts and, you know, being a former goalie, not really paying attention to, uh, the, the intricate details of, uh, of team play. Uh, I didn't have the answers. So, you know, I had to quickly figure that out, you know, if I was going to, going to stay in coaching and, and luckily I was, you know, so fortunate to uh, have two great mentors, uh, on my first stop at Canisius, um, you know, I worked with uh, head coach Dave Smith, who's now at RPI, and, and Mike Mankowski, who was um, the other assistant coach at the time, and um, now works uh, in Toledo, Ohio with the uh, youth hockey uh, group there. So, um, you know, had, had tremendous mentors that were extremely patient. And, uh, and I think the other thing is, you know, really got to dive deep into the X's and O's um, early on uh, you know, studying our team, studying other teams, trying to figure out the game plan. And, and I think, you know, with the, uh, with the, the leash to be able to do that and explore, you know, the X's and O's became a big part of, even though it wasn't a strength at the beginning, it became a big part of, you know, what I was able to bring to the table, um, you know, a couple of years into my, my coaching, uh, you know, uh, experience at, at Canisius. And then when I moved over to Elmira and I was a 24 year old head coach, I think what I did then was just really download everything that I had learned and everything that I knew um, onto my team and whatever was working at, at uh, Canisius, I brought over to Elmira and, 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 you know, for, for better or worse, that's, that's what I did. And, you know, looking back at that uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit cringy uh, for me thinking about what I was like as a 24 year old head coach coaching women for the first time. And, you know, for me, looking back at it, you know, there you, you know, was coaching with power tools, you know, there was a lot of rules, there was consequences, you know, heavily influenced by, you know, X's and O's and, and being outcome oriented. And and I think when you're like that as a young coach, it it, it really puts a strain on the relationships of, of the people that you surround yourself with. And uh, it didn't take me a whole lot of time to figure that out. I think, you know, for me, um, as I, as I made the transition over here to Colgate, I think I quickly learned that, um, you know, we had to, we had to work on, or I had to work on strengthening the relationships and really, um, creating an environment here where people can do their best work. Uh, people are motivated to do their best work and, uh, and can thrive in, in the environment that we as coaches create. And I think over time, I've, I've been so fortunate, to surround myself with great people great players and it just seemed like seems like the more that I I invest in relationships and uh motivating and inspiring others to do their best work I uh, we've we've enjoyed the outcomes and so that's what how I feel like I've changed as a coach over time and um, hopefully I'm having a you know positive influence on others now
1: yeah, that's awesome. Uh, coaching with power tools. I'm going to have to add that to my vernacular. I've never heard that before. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I well, real quick before I forget. I just uh, looked up Mike Mankowski because you mentioned him. He's in Toledo. He he's a director for uh, the Sylvania North Stars program. I'm Greg and I are both in Ohio. That's a great program. So shout out Mike for doing good things with that. That's a that's a really strong program in Toledo. So that's awesome. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I guess it's kind of a natural segue here, where uh, what was it like going from you know coaching at Canisius to the women's game, like especially at first?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I really didn't know what I was getting into, um, you know, making the jump to women's hockey, and it probably may not have been the most popular decision at the time, but you know, looking back at it, for me, it was it was the best thing that that I've done, you know, in my coaching career, I think not just as a young coach, but, um, you know, coaching women, I think it it really, um, opened my eyes and I, I quickly needed to become a, you know, a great communicator, um, and be detailed in my delivery. And, you know, because, because the women really wanted to understand, you know, what they, what, what, um, I wanted them to do and, and they wanted to do it the right way, you know? And so how I said it was important, uh, or sorry, what I said was important, but also how I said, uh, I said it was really important. So I think as a coach is how you, how you communicate, you know, I, I quickly needed to, uh, to evolve there, you know, but yeah, uh, this is where I think, uh, coaching women's hockey has been so great. I mean, it's, it's really, when you watch it, it's a beautiful game, uh, you know, it's very free flowing. Uh, obviously, there's not as much contact, but there still is contact in the game. And you know you' I've been lucky enough to coach some of the most competitive people that I, that I know um, in my time coaching at, at both Elmira and, and Colgate. and And yet I think what's exciting about the women's game is that really, it's um, it's a game that's still young, you know, it, it, The first women's World championship wasn't played. Uh, until 1990, which wasn't that long ago, and uh, and so I, I still feel like the room for growth in our sport, uh, you know, exists tremendously. And, and for me and, and our staff, I think that's something that really excites us. Uh, we want to get behind the growth of the game, you know, because for our, the women that we coach, they they've really, um, you know, they grow up watching the NHL and and our game on the women's side is so different and uh, there are a lot of differences to it, but yet along the way, they've been told some of them in many cases that, you know, they can't do what, what the guys have done or can do. And, and that's where we really want to challenge that. I I think, um, you know, on a larger scale, we want to change that part of uh, the game. We want to change that expectation of the athlete. I think, you know, why can't they do what the men do? Uh, Why can't they, you know, even better yet, why can't they find their own way of of expressing skill? Maybe that's unique to the women's game. Maybe it's something that's never been done before or thought of. I think really there's so much opportunity in our game to, to keep it moving forward. And I know that's something that, you know, it, it motivates me, you know, to just make a dent and move the needle forward in our game. And I, and I still think there's a tremendous, you know, opportunity for growth there.
0: Love what you just said there, the ability to make it their own. Like, I don't think there's anything higher than that. Cause everyone's like, Oh, I want to be like X, Y, Z, but why not just go your own way and make it your own? I think that's really powerful for, for young people, especially, um, curious on, on that last point of w- where do you see the room for growth? Uh, and maybe how are you going about creating that?
2: Yeah, that's a good, really good question. I think, you know, what comes to mind for me is, um, well, I, the younger me, um, you know, like a lot of young coaches, as I said, you know, was so, um, you know, driven by by X's and O's and structure um, and and really kind of putting the reins on players. You know, I think as coaches, a lot of times we want to control everything that, that our players do on the ice. And that's where I feel, um, you know, the opportunity is in the women's game. I think – you know, my younger years, uh, dealing with players, um, you know, they were, many of them were afraid to make mistakes on the ice. You know, they were afraid to, um, explore the game. They were afraid to try things out there. And I think upon reflection, that really falls on, on me as a coach, uh, you know, to, to change that and to try and create an environment where our players, uh, feel really comfortable about trying new things. And so, uh, and and not being afraid to make mistakes on the ice from time to time. I think as coaches, we take things so personally, uh, when players do make mistakes, we won't, I know for me, um, and for our staff, it's really about trying to remove those barriers that allow our players the freedom to, to go out, um, try new things, explore the game and really try to, um, you know, we use the motto play free. And, um, and I think that's a big part of, Uh, the environment that we're trying to create. We want to bring in great players that obviously, uh, you know, have a a certain skill set. But at the same time, once we bring those good players to us that have skill and can possess the puck and make plays, let them go do that and and really put them in an environment to uh, encourage them to explore and and get better. And I think when you you remove the reins and and you get rid of the, the glass ceiling, players, uh, people really, um, you know, they surprise you with what they can do. And I think that's something that I've learned over time is, uh, we've got to just motivate and inspire to, uh, push them to the, the next level and let them go and, and, explore. And you'd be amazed with what they come back and do.
0: That's amazing. I love what you're talking about and like how you're messaging it with your team. Curious on some of those, because you've you've touched on it a few times in a few of your other interviews about never finished. We play free, uh, you know, dreams individually versus dreams as a as a unit, a full team. And then just impact comes from action. Curious where maybe some of these have come from, how they've evolved and how you're using with your team. So I think it's all powerful stuff. And I know Dan and I both are big proponents of allowing more freedom and giving our players the permission to make mistakes permission to try things um and the few women players that I've uh had the privilege of coaching uh I found that it was about giving permission you know little boys seem to just take it and run with it but the women need to have that permission given to them
2: yeah I would agree with you on that and um you know for us I think um you know it's got to be more than just a more than just a hashtag, more than just a, a phrase. And I, I really think we, as a staff, try to, um, you know, make these things come to life every day, whether it be how we practice or, um, you know, just, just making the the rink a destination every day for our players to come. We want to encourage them to come and have a great time, leave school behind and, and look forward to coming to the rink and having fun. And um you know, the, the play free motto, I think, you know, has been a big part of who we are. Um, you know, I think the next, the, uh, you know, an additional layer to that, um, you know, I think when you're talking about people and athletes and, and them trying to unlock their full potential, I really think we, as coaches, um, you know, you can see things that get in the way. I think a lot of times, um, you know, when players don't quite understand their role, or, you know, they don't have clarity on their role or they don't have clarity on who they are as a player. Um, you know, that can, that can hold them back from becoming who, um, who they want to be as a player. And so I think it's our job as coaches to really provide some clarity there and help them set a clear path to, um, to, you know, the things that may be getting in the way or or get around the things that are getting in the way of them, unlocking their true potential. And, and that is stemmed fully in the relationships, I think, that we build. And whether it's, you know, role definition, talking about their strengths, um, setting a clear path of their development plan um, and, and what's next in order to see them grow. Um, you know, we, we really just want to be locked in step with our players on on how to do that. I think that's a, that's a big part of it. And the other thing that we're really interested in um, is – trying to better understand why, why people do what they do, you know, like why do, why do players play? And, I, and that's something that we'll often ask in recruiting and, and try to better understand. I think what we found is, you know, the best, the best players, the ones that, that have the most room for growth, they, they play because they truly love the game. And, and I think when you have that passion and that love behind what you do, no matter what it is, it's so much easier to unlock that versus the player that's playing because uh, mom and dad want them to, or because there's a scholarship involved or any other kind of external factor, um, you know, that might be driving the bus, but it's not, it's not the way uh, to truly unlock your full potential. So that play free model, I think it, I think it touches a lot. It touches on a lot of different things for us. You know, and, uh, and we're really just trying to pull out the best and all the, all the people, uh, in our program, whether you're, uh, you know, an equipment manager, uh, we want you to love what you do, you know, and we want to bring in people that love what they do. Um, because if you're motivated by other things, I, I don't think you can. And the same goes for players and coaches alike. So, um, that's a big part of, uh, of where we're moving.
1: That's awesome. And that's a great answer. I'm curious from a recruiting standpoint, aside from um, the passion that you brought up, what, what kind of player are you looking for? Like, what's the prototypical Colgate recruit look like? Yeah, I
2: mean, for us, um, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous impact uh, or, or influence, I guess, in uh, you know, trying to uh, build upon our identity. I think the biggest thing, uh, one of the best things we've done as a staff uh, over the years is really tried to identify what that Colgate player looks like. Um, you know, when you have a, a group of, um, like-minded people that all want the same thing, um, it's, uh, it's a really powerful thing. And so I think what we're looking for, you know, we want to identify people that, you know, have a puck possession mindset, uh, that make plays, um, you know, that with an emphasis on skills and, um, you know, want to make plays in all, all three zones of the ice and not just in the offensive zone where it's safe to do so. Um, we want to encourage mistakes. And so, you know, it's always fun to see players that are looking to try things out there, kids that really go for it and, and, and truly enjoy the game. And I think, um, you know, when you combine all those aspects, I think it's, uh, you know, those are the types of kids that as a coach you love working with, you know, they love the game clearly. Uh, but you also know that, that they're going to push you as a coach to get better. And, and I think that's the kind of environment that we, have created and we want to continue to create. Um, it's just in this environment where everybody makes each other better around, uh, our program and, and coaches are included in that. And I think, um, as much as I would like to say, we've, uh, we've taught our players a lot over the years. Uh, I think they continue to teach us more and more as we, as we bring in those skilled players and, and, uh, together we can help, you know, push our, our program forward, uh, into this next, uh, this next, um, uh, Uh, a couple of years here.
0: Talking about teaching, I I know at Almira you did some teaching there and we even found your, uh, rate my professor profile. So I'm curious, uh, how that was.
2: Yeah. And it was impeccable. My, my, my profile, I think if, if I remember correctly,
0: Uh, yeah, you got a 5.0 on awesomeness and a 1.0 on easiness.
2: Well, I yeah, I, I don't know what the easiness part's all about, but, uh, um, awesomeness. I would, I would agree with, uh, no, just kidding. You know, but I was, uh, when I was at Elmira, yeah, part of my, my job was to be, I don't know if professor is the right word or, uh, I I'd probably go with instructor, but there were three classes that I taught every year, um, uh, introduction to bowling, uh, ice skating skills and introduction to golf. So, um, I, for some reason, you know, they didn't want me to continue that when I moved over to Colgate, but, uh, uh like i said impeccable record on ratemyprofessor.com so
1: hold on do you have uh, a bowling background like i could never teach intro to bowling i
2: i have no background in bowling <laughs> um i i i probably watched a couple of youtube videos along the way i could i could score a uh, a bowling game but that's about it and uh yeah so I, I feel bad for the kids that were in my class but i think we had a lot of fun
0: Awesome. Well, it seems like a, a common theme. Whoever's around you has fun and enjoys themselves. So I, I think that's the best part of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was it was a great time, but uh, I'm, I'm thankful that, that my, my uh, instructing days are over in PE classes.
0: Well, you're a lifelong learner here. So I'm curious of what drives you, what you're looking for as a lifelong learner. I know you're probably just like myself and Dan, just continuously curious and looking at everything. Uh, Is there a place that you like to get inspiration from, etc.?
2: I really try to take inspiration um, you know, from from all sorts of resources. I think for me, uh certainly, you know, enjoy reading. Um, you know, when you're in the car, uh driving to a recruiting event, you know, you're in, you know, you're driving with the family. I love to put a good audio book on or or a podcast. I think um, you know I'm a I'm a new dog owner here. So I've been going on a lot of walks, listening to your podcast or listening to, you know, some different things um, while we're out walking the dog and um, just trying to, like you guys trying to pick up little nuggets along the way. Um, But I think for me, the, the, the thing that's been um, you know, the, the, the best piece about, about growing as a coach is um, over time, you create a, a pretty good network. And I think, over time, I've been I've been uh, better at reaching out to some of those people, you know that I that I got to know early in my career and and rekindling some of those relationships and just picking up the phone and and spending some time asking questions that may be on my mind and you know last summer uh, or sorry two summers ago spent a lot of time on the road um, you know a, a day with this person a day with that person and really just picking the minds of some of the people that I respect the most in our in our industry and. That to me has been some of the best uh, professional development that I've done to go back to the well a little bit and the relationships and, and rekindle some of those, uh, some of those great relationships that we've cultivated over
1: time. So two summers ago now, time flies, man. Uh, I spent about a week on the ice with Steph DeCoste, one of your assistant coaches at a a Daryl Belfry camp uh, in the Northeast, uh, New York area. I guess one talk about Steph a little bit and, and just the the kind of person and coach he is and kind of following that path. What's it like putting together a staff? Like, how's that been for you?
2: Yeah. Great question. And I mean, I, I've uh, I mean, just talk about Stefan, first of all, I mean, he uh, you know, we talk about great hockey minds here and um, he is someone that, you know, not only full of passion and energy uh, for the game and, and for development but he's, uh, you know, extremely passionate about, about being a lifelong learner and continuing to move the needle forward, not just, you know, with our program, but inside of women's hockey. You know, a lot of these, a lot of the things we've talked about today, you know, I think about staff and, and just how we've collaborated over the years. We've worked together for, you know, about six years. Uh, he came in as a volunteer coach for us in his first year and has emerged into being one of the best assistant coaches in the country, if not the best, in my opinion. And, you know, he's just so passionate about the game. Um, his hunger for, for growth and for learning is something that I think inspires all of us. And uh, I've been so lucky to, to have not just a great coach on my staff, but, but a, uh, you know, one of my best friends in, uh, in the world. And uh, you know, he's had just a tremendous impact on all of the people here on our program. And, you know, to, to segue into our staff, I think, you know, we've been, uh, incredibly fortunate, as I said, like we've had so many good people come through the door here and influence, uh, not only myself, but our players and, um, Chelsea Walklands, our other assistant. And, uh, you know, really as a, you know, I, I pride myself on, uh, you know, trying to, trying to outwork our opponents and, uh, always have. And I think in order to, uh, you know, build a program like we have, we've got to have a staff that's invested. And, and so for me, it's first and foremost, surrounding myself with, uh, with people that are a lot smarter than I am, um, that bring, you know, a variety a diversity of skills to our staff. I think that's an important piece that we're not all good at the same things. Um, and then, and then thirdly, maybe most important is we, we truly enjoy each other and we want to, we want to be around each other and we want to push each other to be better. Um, it's, it's not about always being, uh, you know, seeing things the same way or, um, you know, even, even agreeing all the time. But, uh, I think when you have a staff that works so well together, we can have differences, uh, we can beat up ideas, but, um, when it comes to delivering messages to the team, there's, there's a tremendous amount of loyalty and, and we're all on the same, on the same page, even though maybe we started in a different place. So. Um, it's been a. It's over time. Uh, I've been so lucky to have great staffs, and uh, currently with Chelsea and Stefan, um, you know they make me better every day, and I know they make our players better. We're we're all lucky that uh, you know they're a part of our program today.
0: And you had just added a new gentleman uh, halfway through the season who actually wrote a few of our newsletters, Jackson Polish. So sounds like you guys are picking up good people uh, there as well.
2: Yeah, Jackson's doing a great job, and. Uh, we're lucky to have him as our, our director of operations and uh, you know, he's, he's eager and, and, you know, someone that's chomping at the bit to continue to learn. And, and so we think he's in a great spot to be able to do that and, and hope to help him, uh, you know, keep moving along in the hockey ranks.
0: So I, I got one more for you. And again, thanks for coming on. Um, and I'm always curious about this. It's probably the most important thing in hockey is how, how do you communicate what have you changed and what are maybe some specifics uh, that our listeners can take away on your communication style and how to take it and, and kind of make it their own? Cause I think it's, it's, it's so basic, but yet it's probably the most influential. It's, it's not so much what, you know, but how you're able to communicate it um, and just keeping people in the loop.
2: Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I think that's really at the core of uh, all walks of leadership is is how we communicate and, You know, something for me, you know, that, that I've learned is, is just the importance of involving, um, others in, uh, in everything that we do. I think when you have, you you know, when you, when you share, you know, the vision, when you collaborate with the people that you work with, it's much more feasible, I think, to get everybody on board and, and inspired about where you're going as a, as a program, uh, you know, and, and so that's something that I think that I've really tried to to do over time is uh, just involve our constituents, involve our players in decisions that we make, involve our our staff um, more uh, rather than kind of leading uh, with an iron fist. Um, you know, with those power tools that we talked about earlier, Dan, and um, you know, trying to trying to share that and and um, you know, through some of those conversations that we've had over the years as a, as a program, whether it be about our, our program's values, uh, the vision that we have set out on. Um, I think when you, when you involve other people in that process, you're going to get a lot more out of them. Um, when it comes time for the rubber to hit the road, it's not then just something that I've dictated or said or asked of them. It's something that they're invested in because it was their idea and, um, uh, and it's something that, that now others are inspired to live up to. And, and so I think that's been an important, um, part of just my evolution as a leader. Uh, and I think how we communicate, uh, all those things is a direct reflection of involving others in the process.
0: I love that. I think it's, it's so important to involve more people, especially like you said, on the buy-in side of it, um, uh, yeah. just coming at them with stuff it's a lot tougher and uh, i know myself as a young kid if someone came at me with saying you have to do this i was was probably going to try to do the exact opposite so right big fan there right exactly um actually i got i got one more question for you and i guess it kind of goes around your your possession style and how that came to be because i'm a big fan of the best defense is just having the the puck we don't have to play any other way so um you've kind of nailed it a little bit and got around it, but I want to get directly at possession hockey and why that's a thing. Um, I originally got it from Barcelona and I love soccer. Uh, my freshman year at Akron, they won national titles, So couldn't, couldn't not be involved, uh, since we are actually good at a sport, but, uh, it's, it's quite something. So I'm curious what you think about it. Yeah. Well, I,
2: I would agree with you. I think, you know, when we, when we, you know, first started talking about moving to more of a, a possession game model. Um, you know, I'd say it was heavily influenced by um, by soccer, you know, and uh, and tried to bring in a lot of those parts into into our game. Um, I would agree with you in the sense that I think the best defense is having the puck and, and possessing the puck. And so, you know, in our, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we could go with it. I think in hockey over time, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, growing up, in certain areas of the ice, I remember my coaches talking about, you know, don't pass the puck in front of your net or, you know, you're at the blue line. Don't turn it over at the blue line. Like those were some of the constant messages that, that I recall growing up. Um, and so for so many years, there's been, you know, a stigma associated with different areas of the ice, you know, and players, um, being scared to make plays, um, in those, um, in those areas of the ice. And I think that's something that um, as a staff, we've really tried to move away from we've rather than uh, punting pucks and and getting rid of the the puck there or not moving the puck in front of the, in front of our own net uh, we've really encouraged our players to explore those areas of the ice. And, and rather than just uh, throwing the puck away or giving it to somebody else, like um, challenge them to make a better play. And I think sometimes when you um, when you, 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 know, you just expect more out of players in those areas, again, as I said earlier, it's really surprising what they can uh, show you they can do. And now all of a sudden, you've got a confident defenseman uh, who's making a skilled play at the blue line under pressure, and, and that extends our zone time even longer. And, and so I think when you stack those things up on top of each other, um, again, talk about uh, you know, the women's game, especially having more room to grow. Um, I think that's an area where we can come to expect more out of our players, more out of our skilled players to make plays in those, uh, stigmatized, uh, areas of the ice. And, uh, and so that's something that we're really passionate about. And, uh, I feel like we've come a long way in it and we continue to explore it and uh, try and move the new forward on this possession mindset.
1: That's awesome. And you know, it's funny you say that. So uh, the program I coach, we have a 10 and under team, 12 and under, 14 under team. And we, so like, I don't know, not to toot our own horn, horn, but like, we, we definitely make it known to our kids that like, you know, this is a free space to make mistakes, like never punt the puck ever. If you're going to turn it over, like, that's fine. We'll talk about it later, but don't be afraid. So by the time they get to me at 14, like they're very confident making those plays almost like to a fault, maybe like, I love it. Like, like you said, I think it's like better to kind of like, I don't know how to say it, tighten the, tighten it up like later, as opposed to, you know, almost like retrain their mind when you get them in college, like how difficult is it for some of these players who have been taught for, you know, literally 10 plus years to like not make this play to like kind of reprogram their brain.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I, I, uh, it, it, it does come with challenges um, because every player that comes into a program, you know, uh, a college program is coming from a different background with different experiences. So now we're, you know, that's why I think um, having a really clear identity of the types of people that you want to bring into your program becomes really important first and foremost. And, and that uh, desire to explore the game. But beyond that, like, I also think a big part of, um, breaking those old habits or that old mindset is about how we structure our practices and, uh, and how we, how we practice every day, you know, quite frankly. And I think one thing, uh, that we have really tried to do is, is make sure that every day, um, has, you know, some built in time for us to, to play and, uh, you know, play games where, where players are making plays, uh, at the offensive blue line under pressure, um, have play have games structured where uh, players are encouraged to um, only use the middle of the ice and not, not allow them to use the wall. And I think when you do that and you stack those instances on top of each other um, they're forced to explore through the games and, or the small games especially. And then uh, once you've kind of done that and you start to see it come to fruition in gameplay even though they might be a little bit uncomfortable at first, I think the more you reinforce, um, you know, what, what you like through video, um, and you keep watering that plant over time. Um, it really doesn't take a whole lot for players to change their mindset about, uh, you know, some of, some of the fear that once existed, uh, you know, making plays under pressure. So that's been a fun experience. I know for us the year we went to, um, the national final in 2018, that was a year, uh, I say this to a lot of people, I, I could probably count the the number of actual um, structured drills we did that year on uh, two hands. You know, we played a ton of games. And I think uh, because of that, our team that year, especially really adopted the, the play-free mindset and, and, you know, it it, it really propelled us to, uh, to, you know, one of the best seasons our program's ever had.
0: I love the concept that you bring up there about permission and pressure, and you're trying to take pressure off your players to make them play free and allow them to make those mistakes and make those plays and gain confidence. Uh, Something Dan and I've been talking a lot about lately is permission. Like no matter what you do as a coach, you're either creating some kind of form of pressure or some form of permission and just tweaking those to figure it out um, and see what that exact player needs. And, Um, I I love the way that you you talk about it. You're, you're not putting structure in practice. So if you're not putting structure in practice, what kind of things are you doing? Yeah. So I guess
2: it's a great question. I I think uh, where I'll go with it is, you know, I leading up to that year in 2018, where we just pretty much played games, um, you know, with constraints and there was also years leading up to that year uh, where you know, we did a lot of drills and I I think there is a place for, for structured drills because it's kind of like, it's kind of like the scaffolding that you need, uh, you know, around a building that you're trying to build. You you have to have that support system there. Um, But, uh, you know, the other part about playing small games on a regular basis and creating an environment where um, players can, Uh, make decisions on the fly they can um, you know make mistakes without consequences is that it it lends itself the opportunity for coaches then um, to really filter back with that player after mistakes have been made and and ask them the right question rather than dictating hey this is what you need to do next time this is what you should have done instead it's hey, what did you see on that play? You know, what what worked for you there? What didn't work? What would you do next time? And I think we find ourselves um, in those situations as coaches a lot when we play small games in practice. Um, And really the game becomes the teacher, you know, in so many ways, because then it's the player thinking about what happened there and coming up with their own answer, as opposed to us coaches dictating what should happen. And I think that's a that's an important point, um, you know that uh, that we love about small games and and the value that they bring. I'd say the other piece that's important in terms of the uh, the environment that we're creating is, you know, when you compete in a in a small game in practice, it's really the closest thing to a real game um, that that there is. You know, where a drill doesn't a drill doesn't keep you not keep scoring a drill. Uh, but in a game you can put time on the clock. Um, you can keep score. You can really ramp up the pressure. And I think when the pressure is on the games on the line, those are the things that we're trying to recreate as well.
0: All right. Just open a can of worms that I'm very passionate about. Um, and the, and and what you kind of said was what would you do next time? Which sometimes can lead players down the idea of seeing the result and becoming result focused rather than process focused because you could do the right thing and the result doesn't work out for you or you could do the wrong thing and the result works out for you. Um, curious maybe and I think you touched on this when we first started the podcast episode here about keeping the focus on good decision making, good process and the results, for the most part are going to follow. I mean, it's not going to happen every time, Uh, you know, bad things happen. There's luck involved in our game, especially hockey over other sports. There's a lot more luck involved.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's the game of hockey. That's what makes it, you know, such a great game is, you know, there's no cookie cutter answer to, uh, to solving problems. And I think, you know, players may make, may make good decisions at the right time and it might not work out. It might end up on the back of our net, but, um, but they're, Decision may have been a good one based on their read, and I think rather than focusing on the outcome or the result, asking the question, "Hey, what do you see there?" or "Why didn't that work out?" and then the follow-up question being, "Why not?" Uh, again, leading them down that road to answering their own question. You know, it might be a nuanced piece. It might be where the defender stick was. Uh, it might be how their feet were positioned, Uh, but in the next rep, it might look a little bit different. And so I think by encouraging them and asking them the right questions along the way, um, it can also tune our players into the right details of what's really important in terms of making the right decisions and not necessarily focused in on the outcomes that, that exist because of those decisions. So I think as a coach, I'm always interested in, you know, what's the player looking for you're going back to get a puck, you know, in your own end, trying to break your team out and your shoulder check. Well, why are you shoulder checking? What are you looking for? Uh, What do you see? And I think asking those deeper questions really is the key to helping the player unlock what's important and and make the next right play.
0: Question asking. I think uh, fortunately, fortunately my dad's in the coaching business uh, not as a career, but I've always grown around up around a dad who's a hockey coach and figuring out at a young age, like question asking is the key element to leadership, um, uh, and trying to draw out the best in people. So I, I love that answer really do. Dan, do you have any follow-up questions on that? I mean, I could go another hour based on what we finished up here, uh, but I also want to be respectful of time. No, go ahead, Greg. No way. We we need to have Greg back on again. He needs a second episode where we'll dive into the leadership aspects and question asking and really drawing these things out because th- this is not something that's quick five minutes. No way. Yeah, we um, can keep
2: going forever on this. I agree. It's
0: yeah, fun. It, it's it's yeah. it's what you don't think of when you first get started, but once you get into it, you're like it's just mind boggling how much value is in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The questions piece for me is uh, is something that. I'm always reflecting on and, and I feel like I could always do better, you know, as a coach. I think I think I find myself as I fall into the trap from time to time and in, you know, telling players what to do. And it, it's hard in the moment, you know. I will say that. I think you guys probably find yourselves in that situation too, where you want to give players the answer because they want the answer. And and that's something that, you know, I noticed over time is, you know, you're in a game, players come back to the bench and you know, they, they turn around and say, Hey, what should I have done there? And, and really, when you think about it, it doesn't matter what you say. um, As a coach, it matters, you know, how they work through um, problem solving and, and coming up with the solution for themselves uh, the next time. And that's where I think asking the right questions as a coach has a tremendous amount of value uh, because you really flip the script and you get them thinking about, really coming up with their own answers, which at the end of the day, that's, what's the most important because they're the ones playing the game.
0: Yeah. I once heard someone talk about this, uh, and it was on their own coaching process. They went from yelling to telling to asking yeah, three-step process, which, which I thought was, was absolutely wonderful, but uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up for now. We'll have you back on another time, but uh, thanks again for coming on. I want to give you uh two minutes here at the end to plug anything you want to talk about floor is yours.
2: I'll be honest, guys. I really don't have a lot to plug. I'm just, uh, you know, excited to be in this with you guys. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I, as I said, I listen to it on my walks uh, weekly, and uh, I'm, I was, you know, thrilled that you wanted to have me on and just really passionate about coaching and, uh, you know, where the women's game is going. And um, just thank you guys for the platform to be able to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. You. We'll catch you down the road. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Revak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand on hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. We're also at Uh, HockeysArsenal.com. From there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, You can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockey'sarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a
2: beaut here next week for a brand new episode.